G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Coming up today on The Story. I went back to school at 38, did did grade 11. Halfway through grade 11, I pulled the pin and went back driving trucks. Um, But then God kept challenging me, saying, yeah, seek ye first my kingdom, not the kingdom of trucks. You've been there long enough. So then I went back the second year and finished grade 11 and then went on to grade 12. By this time, me and my eldest son, Darren, were in the same class. And I got better marks than him too, eh? The Story. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, I guess you could say that Pastor Barry Hayhoe from Mackay is a dinky-dye Aussie bloke who has a very down-to-earth style of expressing himself. And as we'll hear today in his unique, colourful way, Barry has had to overcome his share of challenges in life. But he's never turned his back on his desire to help the downtrodden in society. Karen Hunt caught up with Barry Hayhoe in Mackay, Queensland. Barry, your journey is so diverse. Let's go right back to those early years. Tell me, where were you born and what was life like in your family? Yeah, well, I'm the son of a truck driver. My mum had six boys. I'm, I'm one of six boys. I'm, I'm number three. I've got two older than me and three younger than me. Um, Dad is a truck driver. We lived, we were born, I was born in Asphalt, but we lived all over the place. I can remember living in Normanton and living in Julia Creek and, and Richmond and and wherever the work was basically for the for the trucks Dad had, we went there. So yeah, so I've been all over the place. Eventually, at about 10 year old, the old man left, decided the grass was greener on the other side of the fence, left me and me five brothers on their own with me mum. Uh, and then at about, I think I was just beginning of grade eight at um, high school when my mother moved on to Brisbane to live. So with all the movements, were you attending one particular primary school? Were you moving around schooling-wise as well? You know, I went to heaps and heaps of different schools and didn't like any of them. I quit when I was about 14-year-old and then halfway through grade nine, I, I'd had enough. I didn't want to go to school no more, so I didn't. So what did you do instead? Well, I got a job in the car wash on, on Coronation Drive. I got $11 a week, I remember, um, for washing cars. And, um, yeah, so, and it just went from there. What did you imagine you would have gotten into when you grew up? Well, definitely not a pastor. I never really, I, I honestly never had a thought of what I might do when I left school. All I wanted to do was earn a living. And I had more jobs. I had more starts in Farlap. I, I had lots and lots of different jobs. Uh, eventually, because after about four years, I moved out of Brisbane and went back to the bush, back to Charters Towers where I met my bride. And um, I'd done the time out there, a couple of years out there as, as an apprenticeship, doing plumber draining. Um, I also worked the meat works out there. On the weekends, I used to drive trucks. And in the end, the trucks took over, and I sort of did full-time for 20 years. Where was God in the picture at that younger age? Well, I grew up in, as a, in, in some of the schools I went to were, were Catholic schools, and my deal yeah, then was the nuns were married to God, 
and I never had nuns that I liked. So as far as I'm concerned, that's his wife. I didn't want nothing to do with him. So I, yeah, God wasn't really in my life. I, you know, I did the altar boy thing for about 15 seconds when I was a kid, but, yeah, I didn't, there was no no real church. Mum, she went to church, and she'd make us go to church, but what we were thinking about is you know, getting out the back to go and find something to do, whether it was mischievous or not. When you mentioned the word wife, now your wife you've been married to for 35 years. So tell us the story of how you actually met Karen. Yeah, well, um, went to Charters Towers. I think I moved in when I was about 20 or 18 or something like that. Anyway, around that area somewhere. Uh, and like normal, yeah, like red-blooded Australian. We are looking for girls and I met her, oh, I think I was, I don't know, about 22 or something like that. She's six year my junior, so... Um, yeah, and we've been together ever since. I was, I was plumber drain and I was doing different things, working the meat works. But I had a motorcycle accident when I, when I was about 22 or whatever the case, maybe about 21, which damaged me, me left leg pretty badly. Uh, and because of that, I had trouble working on roofs and on level surfaces. I'd you know, fall over when I was on the roof because my anchor would let go. So the guy I worked for, um, who gave me every possible chance I had to get through it, uh, him and I come to agreement that I was probably better I left because you know I was going to wind up getting hurt. So then I went driving trucks because I used to drive trucks on the weekend anyway because I'm truck mad. You know, I, um, my dad was a truck driver and, and yeah, two or three of me brothers are truck drivers as well, so it's bred into us. So, so in all your travelling, you're married to Karen. Yeah. Tell us about family, your three boys. Well, uh, my son Darren was the first one to come along. Uh, and he came along just before we were married. Then um, 18 months later, there was Christopher, and then young Barry came along at uh, 1984, two or so, I don't know what it is, 84. So, yeah, so over that group of years, we had, um, we had three kids. Um, I was, you know, I'd get home maybe a day, maybe a couple of days a week. Maybe there was times that I'd be gone for three or four weeks because you couldn't get a load back to home or whatever the case may be. So well, this is the days before mobile phones too. So um, we didn't have a lot of contact with each other and you know, a lesser woman would have left. But she stuck with me and stuck with me boys. And through that, as, as it went on, I, I, um, as a child, I had a rheumatic fever and rheumatic fever damaged one of the valves in my heart. And as a truck driver in those days, doing the miles I used to do, I used to take stuff to stay awake and eventually I had more heart attacks. So, so through the pills and the stuff I was taking to stay awake, I had more heart attacks. And once again, when we lost everything, the house, the truck, the whole show, my wife stuck with me and, and threaded my three sons. So. so your family is strong as a result of the hardship? Most definitely, yeah. Like, yeah, we were tested, you know, we were put through the fire and we came out the other side, yeah, and strong as ever, yeah. And when you say heart attacks, plural, how many were there? I had three, yeah. So um, I had one driving back from actually Richmond through back to to Ewenden. I got that, my left arm went that gimp, I couldn't even change gears. So I was actually changing gears through the steering wheel with my right arm and it was a road train at the time, so... Yeah, luckily it was flat country that I didn't need to um, change as many years as I would auto. But um, but yeah, and then, then eventually I had another another one. And then one night, one Saturday night, I took my wife out for a feed in Townsville and had another one in the, in in the Seaview Tavern, Townsville. Uh, 
said she got me to the hospital when they told me I was having a heart attack. Yeah, I was 30-year-old. We had a little house to steward, yeah. I, I nearly owned the truck. Things were starting to look up. We were starting to get enough work so that we could, you know, live week to week and, and, and enjoy it. But, yeah, then the heart attacks came along. So eventually I was declared bankrupt in 1986 because I couldn't work. I was too crook to work. Um, so we lost the whole show and, and the merry-go-round started again. So. so you weren't a Christian at this stage? No, definitely not. Uh, you've got to serve somebody. Yeah, maybe the devil or maybe the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. Yeah, Bob Dylan told me that. And, um, yeah, I wasn't serving the Lord. So you're in Townsville when the third heart attack happened, but you've told me you actually moved to Brisbane. That was for medical assistance? Yeah, well, the doctors in Townsville told me that I, at best I'd had 18 months to live. So what I did then is I made a decision that I'd take my wife and my children to Brisbane where her parents, but by this time I live in her, and my mother lives, thinking that, that if I'd pulled a pin in 18 months and died, then at least there'd be some family around her. And I had five brothers living at Brisbane at the time as well, so there'd be some family to help with my kids and her in that time. But it, it turned out that that bloke in Townsville was wrong then. I went to um, this Chinese doctor, and he basically said, no, what's wrong with you? We can fix with surgery. So um, within two years, then I then had open heart surgery, and uh, and that was the 17th of June, 1988. Ten weeks to the day I have an open heart surgery, I was back driving a truck. <laughs> Not real clever, but I can lift heavy things. But God wasn't finished with you yet. No, that's exactly right. I um, then, as soon after I, I I moved to Mackay for a job with a transport company, and it just turns out that the transport company closed the doors, I, I suppose, about two months after me coming up here. They went broke, but I looked at it as a positive. Um, they'd moved me here. They'd paid the deposit on the home for me, or not a deposit, but, but the bond. And we were in Mackay. I was away from the city. I didn't want to live in the city. My son, if you've met Darren, is a big man, and he was fighting every day at school, and there was only, I thought there was only one place he could wind up if he kept, got a bad attitude was was in prison and I sort of wanted him away from that so we wanted to try and get to a country town again and at that stage Mackay was a big country town so we moved here and that's about 26 years ago. And you've been here ever since? Yeah, not going to move neither. So this is when mum comes into this on, on the scene where she kept telling me that God had given her a scripture and the scripture was Matthew 6.33 which says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and, and everything will be added unto you. And mum would write me a letter and she put Matt 6.33 on it. She got a scripture for all my brothers as well, but mine was Matthew 6.33. She made me a coffee cup one time and, yeah, yeah Matthew 6.33. She even um, bought an overlocker and that overlocker, she made me some underpants and she stitched Matthew 6.33 into my underpants. So. <laughs> into the undies. Yeah, and, and it was actually um, normally on a Saturday I'd spend all day washing my truck because uh, I was back, like I said, driving trucks. So at that time, I was running overnight Mackay, Brisbane. But I got this little book on how to be a rhinoceros. And if you wanted something, you've got to charge it down. And then, and it, I, I never read a book because I was basically illiterate. I didn't do any good at school. But this book I read, it told me there's two books I should read. One was The Magic of Thinking Big, and another one was uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People. But the most important book I should read would be the Bible, and the best place to start would be Matthew. 
Well, I never realised then that Matthew was just the beginning of the, the New Testament. And I just said, you're kidding. The only book I've read since I've gone to school, my mum's been stitching Matthew 6.33 on my jocks. Now this rooster that wrote this book telling me to go to Matthew 6.33. I said then, said to my wife, we'll go to church tomorrow. And we went to the church that my mother used to go to when she came to Mackay and my wife got saved. You're listening to The Story. Today, Karen Hunt is on location in Mackay, Queensland, chatting with True Blue Aussie pastor Barry Hayhoe about his life journey. And who would have thought that a Bible verse sewn into his jocks would play such a pivotal role in his life? We'll hear more of his colourful story when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Karen Hunt in Mackay, Queensland, chatting with fair dinkum Aussie pastor Barry Hayhoe who's sharing his colourful life journey. As we heard before the break, his mother planted a spiritual seed in his life in a unique way. Next, we'll hear how he eventually becomes involved in a motorcycle ministry called the Tribe of Judah. Now, Barry, tell us about your own Christian experience and how you came to know the Lord. Yeah, well, my mother, basically, she got born again, you know, 20 years prior to that, before the Matthew 6.33 thing. And so when she come to town, she went to church, and that was the only church my wife and I knew about. So obviously that was the church to go to, and it was McKay Christian family. Um, Karen got saved the next day, and we've spoke about it since, and, and she was just waiting for me to go to church so she could go to church, and, and I was waiting for her to go to church so I could go to church, and, and neither of us told each other about it. But, but yeah, so Karen got saved me and my sons noticed a change in Karen. You know, Hal had no fury like Karen without a cigarette. She hadn't had a smoke for weeks. Her language had dropped off because she could swear better than a bullocky. Well, so could I. Um, but, yeah, was, through that, we just noticed that. So I was in a church service here on a Friday night. Actually, one of my sons had just flogged someone up and down the street before that because they they picked him the wrong way or rubbed him the wrong way. And I just said, no, nah, that's it. We're going to church. So we went to church. I didn't worry about them. If they're going to wreck my house, we'll worry about that later. And um, there was a guy there called Tim Hall was preaching. And um, and I just kept telling God, if you make that chair fall over God, then then I'll go out the front and get saved. And um, just that chair, I won't tell anybody, just let the chair fall over. And, and uh, in the end, I fell over. So I hit, him, I hit the chair, did, because I knocked it down on my way through. Uh, and then I walked out the front crying like a big old girl snot and tears flowing everywhere and, and my three sons followed me so we all got saved together and you've all been together ever since in yeah, god's mate, family praise god that we um the church we sort of had to te- we tested a few of them at the church because they probably hadn't family like us in there along with bogans but yeah but apart from that we um we kept going to church and then like i talked about earlier had no education little to none and that church also had a christian school attached to it so I'd sort of befriended the um, the principal there, and he said to me, why don't, why don't you go back to school? So I went back to school at grade at 38, 
uh, in, did, did grade 11. Halfway through grade 11, I pulled the pin and went back driving trucks. Um, but then God kept challenging me, saying, oh, yeah, seek ye first my kingdom, not the kingdom of trucks. You've been there long enough. So then I went back the second year and finished grade 11 and then went on to grade 12. By this time, me and my eldest son, Darren, were in the same class. And I got better marks than him too, eh? I got an award for him. <laughs> well done. Were you literally in the classroom as a student? Yeah, in the classroom with the kids. Me and a lady called Di Taylor, and she's another pastor's wife, started grade 11 together. My first first assignment was an 1,000-word assignment on should organ donation be compulsory? And that's when I learnt about computers because I wasn't writing out another 1,000-word assignment with a pencil. So Wow, what a brave man. Did you ever, ever think at that stage that one day you yourself would be a pastor? No, not, not, no, not really. Um, never thought, never, you know. I had this desire, like I'd be down the back of the church and I'd see the guy preaching, and in my heart I'd have a desire to preach. And I'd think, well, then I'd give myself an uppercut and say, well, you eat, you can't even read. So how can you preach? So that didn't leave. So in the end, one Sunday morning, I said, well, okay, God, it's obviously it's not me. It must be you. So if you want this to happen, then you'd better organise it. Well, I did grade 11 and 12 at Mackay Christian College. The year I finished grade 12, the next year they started a Bible college and I was the second student and my son was the third student, but Darren were enrolled in it. I did three years in Boyle College. Then I travelled the um, coast in North Queensland with, a, with an evangelist called Eddie Coe, and, and I had to write assignments on what I was doing with him and handed them into the, to the Bible College, and so I, in the end I came up with an advanced diploma in Christian ministry and biblical studies. So, yeah. Congratulations. I bet your mum is proud. Yeah, she, she was yeah, pretty well stoked. And my wife was pretty proud as well, so because I know in them early days when I had to do them thousand word assignments, I'd get her to write some of them because I hadn't had a borrow on my hand for years, yeah. So, and to share that also with your son, that's pretty special, yeah. It was, yeah. Um, <laughs> there was a time that him and I um handed in the same assignment, and his name happened to be on top of my assignment. We don't know how that happened, but yeah, anyway. <laughs> We got through it. Tell me, how does the tribe of Judah come into the story? Well, I was in uh, 1993 in Brisbane, and Kenneth Copeland was in the entertainment centre, and there was a guy walk around with a patch, and, and that's the tribe of Judah patch. And and, and I said to my wife, because that's the sort of guy I was, I, you know, I could be part of that, but never went any more with it. And then we went back the next year when Kenneth Copeland was there, and there was probably 30 tribe of Judah guys there. And... Still did nothing about it. Part of me never investigated. Was going about doing what we were doing, and um, and and school and whatever the case may be. And then um, I wound up having a guy come into my church that had a Millennium Messenger, which is which is the beginning stages of a tribe of Judah, come to my church. And and then I said, yeah, and he told me how he got it, went about getting it. So I made contact with him, and then and the rest, like they say, is history. So. But you've never actually ridden the bikes yourself since because of your accident, or oh, no. you do ride now, or yeah, no, mate, I got a Harley now. I ride it every chance I get. So yeah, that yeah, that accident I had back when I was twenty-one, yeah, I mended. Yeah, I got a few scars, but yeah, I still ride motorcycles and enjoy doing it. So. And hence, you've been the president of the North Queensland chapter now for what fourteen years? Yeah, fourteen years is is um, because I was the only person up here at the time. So they they give me me bars, basically the president's bars. Uh, and now I've got a, you know, quite a few guys here that are under me in, in the tribe. 
Let's conclude the conversation now with Pastor Barry Hayhoe. Barry planted the church, River of Life Fellowship Mackay. He stayed in that role of senior pastor for 13 years before passing it on to his son, Darren. Barry, tell us about those early years of pastoring. Well, I planted the church. We started in a a little school music room. Um, with people that said that they couldn't, they didn't feel comfortable going to another church and and um, or, or bigger churches or whatever the case may be. So yeah, so on the seventeenth of November, nineteen ninety nine, I planted a church. I started off as an independent um, ministry and then eventually become an Assemblies of God church. Um, I think the Assemblies of God would have stood back a little bit and wanted to see if I failed before they give me a credential. But anyway. I've got their credential now and we, when we work doing what we can do with the community. About 11 or 12 years ago, I, I did a work for the Dole Scheme where we rebuilt a, a vehicle and then that vehicle we built in barbecues and fridges and all the other business so then we could feed the homeless on the street and we used to go down and feed the homeless um, a couple of days a week and then we'd do soup kitchens on a Friday night and whatever and we just did what we could do. If a door was open, we walked in it. If it closed, then obviously there's another door open somewhere else. And we continue to do that. Um, In Matthew 25, 35 says, I was hungry and you fed me. I was cold and you clothed me. That's basically why I started. It's because, you know, I don't know. You know, like this, there's guys driving around town here that might have a a $100,000 Land Cruiser, but it'd be in debt to their eyeballs and can't afford food. So we, we do what we're doing. I'm sure sometimes it could be easy to get discouraged, yeah? Yeah, I've been there too. Um, but we got an old guy called Gabriel, or Ron. Ron was homeless and he was top 25 missing persons in Australia for 23 years. An alcoholic and didn't want to do anything, didn't really care. And I met him on the street and the old fellow's been sober for six or seven years and he's got a house now and he's living and he's got his pension and... And he works with us, pretty close with us too. So when I get discouraged, I look at Ron or Gabriel. Yeah, we come through the other side and keep on going. Well, Barry, like I said earlier, God still ain't finished with you yet. Yeah, no, praise, praise God. Yeah, no, God isn't finished with me. I don't know where I'm going, but yeah, he hasn't finished. Well, he knows. And uh, for you and your wife, Karen, and your three boys, God bless you, hey, as you continue along the path that he has planned for you. And thank you so much for your time in sharing your story. Not a problem. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Karen Hunt on location in Mackay, Queensland, chatting with Aussie pastor Barry Hayhoe. And as we just heard at the end of the conversation, Barry referred to a man named Ron Saunders who he looks to whenever he gets discouraged in ministry. Next time, we're going to find out why Ron's story has had such an impact on Barry and why he also referred to him as Gabriel. You'll have to tune in to find out. Well, thanks for joining us for today's story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone you know. Next time on The Story. Yeah, that was getting into the late 30s. About 38, 39, I would have been when I had my mental blackout and found myself in Newcastle and I've got no idea how I I got there but I found myself on the road outside of a place called Gladstone in North Queensland. Ron Saunders was listed in 1987 as one of the top 25 missing people in Australia. He had had a mental blackout 
and didn't want to remember his past for fear that he had done something wrong. 23 years later, it all began to turn around after he met Pastor Barry Hayhoe in Mackay. We'll hear Ron's fascinating story next time. The story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.